0: that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking of the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church, and we love Jesus, and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us, and we're glad you're here.
1: Hey, hey, good morning, Rest Church. How's everybody today? Uh, Hey, if this is your first hang with us, we want to say welcome to you. Uh, Let's give it up for our first time guests again. Yeah. Um, You know, we, we really believe that God has something special to say to each one of us from his word today. And can I just say that I love, I love the book of Jonah. I love the ways that God is stretching me in it, both practically and theologically. And I hope that it's doing the same to you because it's been doing some really good godly things in my life. And and so I hope it's doing the same to you as you study. And so if you didn't notice the whale that was outside or the one that was on stage or the boat down in the floor, that's what we've been doing here at REST, which is the typical pattern for us is we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so we've been walking through the Old Testament book, minor prophet of, of Jonah together for the past three weeks. And if you haven't been with us for the past three weeks, that's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you up to speed just a little bit. This will feel like speed dating maybe. So uh, hang in there with me and we'll just kind of overview this for you. So we said that in the very beginning of Jonah, that, that it's like a four course meal, say four. And it sets, uh, follows Jonah as he follows uh, and meets four different sets of characters that show up in four different scenes. And those scenes are this, uh, the sea with Jonah and the sailors, the psalm of deliverance with Jonah and the fish inside of Nineveh and outside of Nineveh. And the 50,000 foot view of Jonah really is about how God is leading the prophet Jonah, sometimes by the hand and sometimes uh, by a fish to show him that that God is sovereign over all, all things. And so... In week number one, we looked at Jonah, uh, the prophet, and, and that was Jonah chapter one, uh, one through three, one through four. And we said from that that, hey, when you read the book of Jonah, there's a historical Jonah, there's a literary Jonah. You can decide for yourself if the two are one and the same. And we found out that Jonah the prophet, he was this uh, follower of God that had walked with God for a really long time. This wasn't a new convert. And God came to Jonah and told him or asked him, said, hey, I wanna send you to uh, my, my people, some other people. Jonah in response said to God, No thanks, I'm out. And he decided to go down to Joppa and board a ship. And so this would be like, uh, if God called you to go to Texas, you bought a ticket and went to California. Um, So he went down to Joppa, boarded the ship. and, uh, And so from the first few verses, we learned that, hey, we've all probably got some of that Jonah Jr. inside of us, that we've all probably got a little bit of that run built into us. And we also seen that in our rebellion, against our God, our sin always has a price tag to it. And in fact, if you want to run away from God, you're always gonna find a ship that will be willing to take you there. And so that was week one. Then uh, as Jonah attempted to flee from the presence of God, uh, he ended up on a boat, which is why in week number two, we seen Jonah in a storm, uh, chapter one, verse five through 16. And so even before the pagan mariners come along that were on board to toss Jonah overboard to stop the storm, we've seen that the the mariners were trying to save Jonah initially, yet little did they know That as they were trying to save Jonah, they were actually rowing against the will of of God. And so this kind of demonstrated to us that, hey, look, even our good intentions can sometimes go against God's will in our life. And so Jonah says, hey, hey, guys, here's how you stop this. You need to take me and throw me overboard into the will of God. Throw me into the sea. And we found out from pa- Pastor John that not every storm that comes in, in our lives comes from God, but that, that, that God is over and involved with every storm that shows up in our life. Amen? And in fact, you know, sometimes a storm comes to, to conform us more to the image of Christ, the Son. And, and we know for Jonah, after we read the story, that like the storm doesn't stop until he finally surrenders. And then in week uh, number three last week, we looked at the fish. Say the fish. It was a fishy sermon, uh, chapter one, verse seventeen. And Pastor Cody he took us from from Jonah. Uh, to Jesus, to Jonah and Jesus, back to Jonah in that that, uh, conversation. And we looked at the signs of Jonah, that ultimately Jonah is a a portrait of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the greater Jonah who came to die for our sins and was thrown into the waters of God's wrath uh, on on our behalf. And so uh, Pastor Cody uh, laid out that it was in the the waters of God's mercy that God had prearranged this Fish to come and to save Jonah from the waters. Uh, he, also, he also called the King James Version of the Bible the King Jimmy. And so I just want you to know that from now on here at Rest Church, the cultural standard for the King James Version of the Bible shall always be called the King Jimmy. That was awesome. Uh, I love it. And, uh, and we ultimately found out, yeah, we can clap for that. <laughs> that was good, man. It was so good. And uh, we found out that, that hey, this fish shows up in Jonah's life, but it didn't show up in Jonah's life for destruction. Instead, the fish showed up in Jonah's life for direction. And, and we usually hate the fish, Cody talked about this, we hate those, hate those circumstances and storms that come into our life that might swallow us up, um, but, but Cody said that sometimes God uses those circumstances to carry us away from an even worse circumstance, or, or little do we know, it may just be the fish in our life that's carrying us into God's will and away from our own will. So from these past three weeks, we've, we've kind of absorbed that, look, you can, you can run away from God, but you're never going to outrun the love of God, and, and really this is, the, this is the gospel in a nutshell, that the Bible, that is the story, the grand story of God, and in it we find sinners like us who in our rebellion are running away from God, yet no matter how hard or fast we run away, God is always pursuing us in his grace and his love, and he always catches up, amen. Amen. And this is some amazing news church. So today, for week number four, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down in scene number two, that psalm of deliverance out of the four scenes, and, and, and we're going to look at Jonah's petition, which is the beginning of, it's the beginning of a prayer and a, and a poem and a, and a song of Thanksgiving from Jonah. And we're going to see that our God, he's not just sovereign to sin, but that he's also sovereign to save. And so if you've got your Bible, flip with me to Jonah chapter 2. There should be some Bibles in front of you, or you can pull your phone out. Jonah chapter 2, we'll read uh, verses 1 through 4 together, and then have some conversation on this. Todd, did you get that note that I sent you, by the way, in the app? Check it out. Okay, okay. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Do you love Jesus Rest Church? You ready to study his word this morning. Amen. Jonah 2 1 through 4, this is what it says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your waves and your billows they passed over me. And then I said, I'm I'm driven away from your sight yet yet I shall again look upon your holy temple Now before we before we actually dive into Jonah 2, 1 through 4 this morning, I, I want to set up a little bit more context for you as we, as we get into this. Because honestly, as you read it, it can be slightly confusing um, thinking about where Jonah's been and where Jonah's going and, and where he's at right now in this, in this petition when you read chapter two, starting in verse one, all the way through ten, when you read this petition, it can get a little get a little murky. And so, um, you can have your own position on what I'm about to say about this. For sure, I'm not even entirely sure how Pastor Cody's going to lay it out uh, next week as he as he preaches the next portion of this. But for me, I don't read this portion of Jonah entirely uh, chronologically. I don't read it from point A uh, to point. Z, but but for me, I read this portion of Jonah kind of like the book of Revelation. Again, this is just interjection, opinion. That's what every sermon is. It's a commentary on the text. And so that's what this is. I I read it as, as Revelation, Revelation, right? 22 chapters. I see the book of Revelation as 22 TVs that are up on the wall, all playing the same movie, but in different parts of the movie along the way. And that's similarly how I see Jonah's petition here. As you look at it, it's all singing the same song. It's playing the same movie. Movie, but it's at different parts of it as you move through the text. And so this can be helpful, if not just thought provoking, for us to read it in this way. And, and it's like this I'll just give, give you an overview here. Jonah chapter 2, 1 through 2. This is the summary of events that show up. This is the summary of a summary statement of what all he's about to say. And it's a, a look at the present. Um, this, this is really common in Hebrew writings. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it does the same thing. There's a summary statement, and then after it, there's a breakdown of, of everything that comes out of the summary. And so we see a similar thing here with Jonah. Uh, then it moves to Jonah 2 3 through 6b, which begins this flashback of events that have happened to Jonah. And also, it simultaneously looks toward Jonah's future. Then, lastly, uh, Jonah's two seven through ten, it moves us back into the presence, uh, the present again, and you see this from, from Jonah's uh, tone in in what he's writing, and it's in, in this moment, it's Thanksgiving and praise and, and worship to God, um, and it concludes in chapter two, verse ten, right? Yahweh causes this, this fish to come and toss up his cookies, and, and Jonah's included in that, and and so it's it's salvation for Jonah on the dry land. So, so this is, it goes from presently in the fish with a summary statement uh, to a past flashback of what happened before the fish came for the rescue, simultaneously looking forward to the future, and then it's wrapped up again in the present. And it, when you read it, it feels, like, it feels like that classic trilogy of movies for me, right? It, you're reading this and it's like back to the future, part two, you know, and you're like, where, where, is, this, where is this going? And, and uh, next week, Pastor Cody, he's going to blow your mind. He's going to blow your mind with some seaweed, okay? You, who would have thought that seaweed was such an important clue in how to read the context of Jonah? But he's going to do that next week. And, and, and before that, we're going to sit down um, three things from this text, and I promise we're getting to the text, but three things we're going to look at this morning from Jonah's petition that God is sovereign to save, and it's this. We're going to look at Jonah's prayer. This is the, the summary statement that he has. Then we're gonna look at Jonah's place or the, or the predicament that he's, that he's writing and feeling these feelings from. And then finally, we're gonna wrap this up with God's promise to Jonah as, as, as Jonah looks toward a future hope that he has. So it's the, the prayer, the place, and the promise. And the main truth we're gonna carry with us this morning is that sometimes in God's economy, the way up is first down. Sometimes walking with Jesus, the way up is first down because God's grace, man, it's often found at the at the bottom of the ocean. And so we'll we'll pray together, and then we'll walk through this and and divide this text up. Uh, Jesus, we thank you first off for the gospel, God that you didn't you didn't leave us uh, you know drowning in our sin and circumstance, but God, you came down to us to change the game that you died the perfect death for us, Lord. And so we want to say thank you. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for, for dying on the cross for our sin and then raising again in the resurrection. And, and Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning, for the book of Jonah. Help, help it to stretch us um, theologically and practically. And, and God, we don't want just information this morning, God, but Holy Spirit, we're after some transformation. And we know that only comes from you. And, and so, Jesus, I, I just, I feel that there are someone's, here today that maybe they've been maybe they've been sinking for a while maybe they're close to that that rock bottom would you would you just remind them that in the middle of all that you might not save them from their circumstance and you might not might not save even their life God but that you promise your presence is there and so God I, I just ask that that would be enough for us this morning God that we don't just need what you do God but we just we just need you And just as that song we were singing earlier, uh, at the mention of your name, God, we we know that things can change. God, we just, we believe it. And so, Holy Spirit, teach us, teach us today. Um, Show us your word and and let it change us. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So, in, in the text, we've We've come to our friend Jonah this morning. He's praying this prayer of thanksgiving and for being saved. He's been delivered out of the the waters of death. And in the beginning of verse 1, in this summary, um, he tells us where he's presently praying from. Look at it, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the belly of the fish. And as you've probably noticed... Just from the text, that's a pretty peculiar situation, you know, to find yourself in. Jonah here is inside of a fish and and I'm not sure about you, but for me, if I'm stuck inside of a fish, there's gonna be a lot of trepidation and fear uh, swimming uh, uh, around inside of me as the fish is swimming around outside with me inside of it, you know? And, and so just so you know that this actually could have happened, to play back off of what Cody said last week, um, there's this video clip, don't show it yet. There's a video clip, though, it's from 2020 in Avila Beach, California. These are two women kayakers who were swallowed by a, a humpback whale and then spit up. And I just want you to see this real quick. Can you play that if it'll, if it'll work? Sometimes it does
0: Oh, <gasps> no.
1: Crazy, right? This is crazy. this 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 is video footage of this happening and um, this is this is nuts. The, they were spit back up, praise God, and then nothing they weren't seriously injured, but but this could have had this has happened uh, before and, and Hannah can you can you zoom in for just a second on this kayak guy real quick? Yeah, the kayak guy, um, man, I've watched this clip like several times and this guy before he moves he's just froze, right? like, like I don't know, frosty and ice cream and a snowstorm. He is frozen, and he is not going anywhere. If it's me, okay, I'm paddling away, so I'm running on the water. You may think Jesus is with you. I'm like taking off in this moment, right? But, but I'm showing you this because this could have happened. This did happen. This could happen. Um, and so the reason I say that is because let's not remove, okay, However, however you believe about this book, it doesn't matter, fact or fiction, it doesn't matter. That's not the point of the book. Whatever you believe there, let's not remove the Holy Spirit mystery, okay, of what can happen. Amen? Let's not, let's not remove that, that portion of this. And this is a one in a trillion probability of being swallowed by a well, but this is possible. So, like, just ima- imagine this is you. Imagine this, you, you're out, you're, you're, you're kayaking, you're paddleboarding, whatever, all is good. You're, you're kayaking away from the Lord. You've got your bumper sticker on the front of your kayak. You know, it says kayak more, worry less. And then all of a sudden, a fish comes up and, and swallows you. And all of a sudden, you're the bait on the proverbial hook coming from, coming from the Lord. And then you, uh, you know, we know in Jonah's story, he didn't know this yet, but he gets, you know, kayaked back up. Uh, up on, do you like that? I didn't know if that was going to hit or not, Cody, but he gets, he gets yacked back up on the, on the dry land. And so we know that this is possible, but sometimes I think we overlook this story and, and I think we treat it and similarly in a wrong way to the story of Noah and the scriptures. Are you familiar with the story of, of Noah? Um, so from Sunday school, uh, God tells Noah, right? God tells Noah, go build an archaearchy. God tells Noah, go build an archaearchy. Um, help me out here, build it out of, there's 10 spiritual bonus points for everyone who answered answer that, right? Um, children of the Lord, right? And, and, and so we get this picture of, of these animals coming onto this ark, and they're in two-by-twos, and they're high-fiving, and everything's great, and, and, and Noah is, is portrayed, at least in, in many Sunday schools, as this, pipe, this piper prophet who's like snow-whiting, you know, the animals up the ramp, up the boat to the boat, but that's not actually what, what happened. You know, when we, when we look at the story of Noah, um, like we don't, we never really talk about the poop, Nathan. We don't talk about the poop on the, or the ark, right? Like it was messy. Um, and we, we don't talk about the terrifying aspects of the ark, right? Like Noah, he's trying to heroically save uh, his family and people and, 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 and animals alike, but he doesn't save them all. Perhaps because he can't save them all. And so not to get graphic in this, but like with the story of Noah, we cannot say that no people or animals were harmed in the making of that story, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a dark, dark kind of story. And so for Jonah and the fish, I think we... We look at him in these kind of terms, in these Sunday school terms, and, and it's like Jonah's, you know, posted up inside of the fish, and he's playing he's playing checkers or something. Or he's I brought a picture for you. Uh, maybe can you pull that up, Hannah? The checker fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we picture this is how we this is how we this is how we picture Jonah, right? He's playing checkers. He's writing his diary. Dear Lord, today was not a good day. <laughs> hey. Here's another one for you. I was praying for a fish dinner, and this is not what I meant. <laughs> uh, but, but this is what we we picture him as. Like he's he's like this, and that, that's that's not that's not the the imagery of the scripture. Jonah's inside of the the belly of a of a fish, and so this is a cold and and dark place. Who knows what else is inside of the fish along with Jonah? I mean, talk about the smell. I don't know if you have a sensitive nose, but. <laughs> Like it's gonna be smelly and it's, you're talking about pitch black for three days and three nights. Jonah's probably thinking that, that he is you know in some sort of temporal or eternal punishment for the choices that he's been making running against God. He doesn't know yet that he's gonna get out of, of this predicament that, that he is in. And so what do, you, what do you do? What can you do in this moment? Well, verse one, Jonah prays. Jonah prays. This is Jonah's prayer. He's been running from God. And now he's stuck in a spot where he can't talk his way out of it. And so he's turning to God. And, and, and church, this is what, that's what biblical repentance is all about. Say repentance. Repentance, you know, it's, it's one of those kind of churchy words that I'm not sure we fully grasp the understanding of, uh, of repentance. And so just two really quick, easy ways to think about this. I'm going to use King David uh, from Psalm chapter 32, 5 as an example on this. You can write this down, read it later. But David, he he'd already committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had Bathsheba's wife sent to, away to be murdered. Uriah, she, uh, Bathsheba gets pregnant. Nathan the prophet comes along and rebukes David in his sin already at this point. And Psalm chapter thirty-two it sits alongside of Psalm fifty-one as this prayer of repentance and brokenness coming from David. And so in this prayer, look at it. Psalm thirty-two verse five, part A. He says in there, I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin to you. And for us, what this is, is number one, two things. Number one, repentance, it starts with recognition. Repentance starts with recognition. That means it's where we go, hey, look, what I've done or I'm doing, what I've believed or am believing, what I've, what I've said, whatever it is, I, I realize and I recognize that, hey, this is wrong. I have sinned, and God is grieved. The the antithesis of recognition, the antithesis of that is rationalization. And that's that's where we typically go though, right? We go, but look, if you would have known what they did to me, what they said to me, you would have cut me some slack here. Or, or, or we'll blame shift and we'll go, well, they said this and if they hadn't said that or done that, then I wouldn't have done this. Or really this is their, their fall Any, anyway. And, and what those are, church, are selfish attempts to justify ourselves as the victim. When in the reality, the truth is that in repentance, we recognize that it's God who's the victim of our sin. And, and that's, that's 2 Corinthians five twenty one, right? Jesus, he, he, he who had no sin became sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says this. In fact, it goes on to say, look, if you say that you don't have any sin in you, then actually the truth, it's not around you. Repentance starts with recognition. Second thing, really quickly, repentance, what it does, according to King David, is that it, it opens up and it doesn't cover up. It opens up instead of covering up. So David continues in that Psalm 32, 5. He said, I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions and, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So repentance, it doesn't look to cut corners, right? Repentance is not looking for some sort of uh moral compromise. But what it does is repentance just comes clean. It comes totally clean. And and I think this is the pain this is the painful part of uh, of repentance, right? Like because listen, if you're not genuinely offended by your own sin and how it's offended God, then really there's no repentance in you. Repentance demands a broken heart over your sin. Psalm fifty-seven or 51 reiterates this. David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do you know the difference between attrition and contrition or being contrite? Well, uh, attrition would be like, oh, no, I'm caught, and now I feel guilt. Now I feel bad about this. That's contrition. Attrition, Attrition, on the opposite hand, is is different. It's when you feel the the, the pain that you've committed against God the Holy Spirit, how you've uh, uh, misused or mistreated his love and grace and plan in person. And I'll tell you this, when you have that inside of you, when you feel that kind of pain, that's a heart that God will not despise. That's a heart that God will never reject. And so just repentance. It's not about, it's not about tormenting yourself. It's not about torturing yourself or just feeling bad. But biblical repentance is about transformation through God the Holy Spirit. Things change in repentance, in 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 the Greek on that's metanoia, metanoia, say metanoia, Um, the closest literal English uh, definition of that we have is to have a change of mind, but maybe a better way to think about uh, repentance and metanoia is that we now think differently, we now think differently, we know now that there's a better way, that God's way is better than our way, And so what happens in this picture of repentance is that you come and your mind is changed and your heart is changed. And in repentance, it always, it always leads to a change in action, always. There's no change in action. There's no repentance there. And so we we need those those portions of it. Calvin, I love what he said about this. He said, repentance isn't just the start of the Christian life. He says, this is the Christian life. And so for Jonah, Jonah, This this is a really painful prayer on a really dark day for him. And so for the believer, I'll just ask you this morning, man, is is repentance, is it as normal in your life as breathing? Is it a regular practice for you? Is it something that comes up often and often again of of how you deal with your sin? sin? Remember, if you say, I've got no sin, the truth isn't in you. Is repentance regular for you? And then let me take it just a step further. Let me hit my dudes for just a second, man. Like, Okay, for you, are you the leader in your family when it comes to repentance? Are you the the spiritual leader, humbly leading in repentance? Like when you sin against your wife or wrong your children or your coworkers or whatever, do you go to them or do you wait for them to come to you? Don't wait. You go to them. You take responsibility just as Jesus took responsibility. So we need it, we got to stop making excuses, men. And we've got to take responsibility. That's what Jesus did on the cross, right? He, he took a responsibility of, of our sin. He never had sin. He took our responsibility and placed it on himself. He didn't make an excuse. He took it on himself. And so when you handle your own sin and repentance and, and go and you, you confess to the Lord and you confess to the person that you've wronged and you show your family these things, it's going to help them mitigate and learn how to deal with their own sin. Amen. So repentance. Jonah, Jonah's dealing with, with, with some repentance right now. And, 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 and so he's out in the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. He's at the express mercy of God and he prays. But what's weird about this prayer, back to the scripture, verse two, he's praying from the past tense. He says, I called out, he answered me. I cried, you heard my voice all in the past tense. So not only is he, is he saying these things in the past tense, but what he prays next, it's a prayer from the past, because as you look through it, there's almost nothing original in this prayer from Jonah. What it is is a collection and a grouping together of different psalms. I'll, I'll just show you a real quick parallel. Of this I'm not going to read all of these. If you want to write it down, you can read it later for yourself. But I just wanted to show you Jonah 2:2 a in Psalm 18:6. He says, "In my distress, I I cried to Yahweh. In my distress, I called to Yahweh. I cried to God for help." Jonah 2, 5, Psalm eighteen four, um, The engulfing waters threaten me. That's the Hebrew, offath, the deep surrounding me. The cords of death, same word there, offath. The torrents of destruction overwhelm me. Jonah 2, 7 and Jonah eighteen six, Or even you can just go back for yourself and read through Psalm 116 and see. It's kind of neat. You can see the parallels between Jonah 2, 1 through 10 and Psalm 116 that come up. Um, and not just the, the words, but the language and the style. And so there's no, almost nothing original in this, in this prayer that Jonah has um, that's original to him. But it's a stitching together of a whole bunch of other psalms. And so this is super important, okay? This is super important for next week. The writer of Jonah intentionally sticks the, the, the songs of Israel into the mouth of Jonah. He, he sticks the songs of Israel into the mouth of Jonah. And, and so like when you read through this on your own, you're like, is is Jonah some sort of you know prayer plagiarizer or, or something? And that that's not that's not the picture here. But what I think what I think about this is that the reason that he includes the Psalms in, in his prayers here is, is because in this moment, the word of God was able to express for him feelings he was having, but maybe couldn't communicate on his own. And we, and we do this uh, all, all the time. The Psalms are, are the words and the songs that Jonah would have grown up learning. These are the songs and the words that his family would have said, uh, that his community would have spoken. And so he would, have, he would have known these things. And in this moment of desperation, this is what comes out of, of Jonah. Similarly for many of us today, like you may have that uh, Joshua 1.9 uh, hung up inside on your living room on a wooden plank, you know, don't, don't, Fear, be dismayed, the, the Lord will go before you. And you've seen that so many times in your house now that it's on your heart and you know that scripture in, in your memory. For me, um, or Jackson, my, my oldest son, the first scripture that he memorized from uh, Timothy... Um, we, that was the very first verse that we looked at together, and it said, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, timidity, but of power and love and self-control. And he came to me a few weeks ago, and he was scared of the dark, and he said, hey, Dad, did you have another verse about uh, fear? And I was like, bro, do I got another Bible verse, okay? Yeah, of course, of course. And so we're working on Deuteronomy thirty-one eight from the NLT version right now, and, and it says, don't be dismayed or discouraged. The Lord will personally go before you. Um, he won't fail you or abandon you. And so well, I've... I'm tucking this stuff into, into him, into my, into my guys. And, and when I drop them off for school, him and Jordan, my, my little guy, sometimes I'll remind them of our family mission. And I'll say, hey, 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 remember, it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And then Jordy, he'll chime back in in his little three-year-old voice, right thing, right? And, and sometimes I'll remind him, say, hey, be a good leader and listener today. Did you have these things when you were growing up? Your parents said something, or your grandparents said something, and it was this uh, parental lexicon, and you swore you'd never say it, or to your kids, and now like it's like you catch yourself saying these things. Yeah, same kind of concept here, I think, with Jonah, right? Like, just when I like the same way that I pack up uh, barbecue chips in the backpack for their lunch, I'm also trying to tuck doctrine and the Word of God into these guys, into my guy's heart. So that, so that when they get into a spot that's smelly or dark or confusing like Jonah and they don't know what to say, what I'm praying for is some Holy Spirit autopilot to kick in and that the word of God would just come out from them. I think it's what's happening here with, with, with Jonah. And, and so i ask you, are you bearing the word of God down in your own heart? Are you bearing the, the word of God into the heart of the people around you? Sometimes, church, the way up is first down. Sometimes the way up is first down to so stick the word of God in your, in your heart. And so I love this. Um, the fish is digesting Jonah, right? At least from the writer's perspective. And, and Jonah, he's now digesting the scriptures. And uh, Jonah's prayer is in a past, past tense. And, and so now we move into Jonah's predicament. This is the predicament that Jonah's praying from, verse 2, part B. He said, I called out. Out of my distress, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. You heard my my voice. And so Jonah here, he has a lot to be distressed about, right? He has a lot to be distressed about from where he's at, from what's happened to him. And I don't think we, we, we quite grasp how much distress that Jonah is in, because in this flashback, he's inside of this fish, that's his living coffin, so to speak. And he remembers prior to this, that he was sinking in the waters, that, 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 that he was in this, in, in this pre-fish rescue, as he said, out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Now, the idea that Jonah's communicating for us here, out of the belly of Sheol, um, that's not, <laughs> Sheol's not the name of the fish, right? That's not what he's saying. But, but what he is saying is from the deep place in the waters, from the realm of the dead, I cried for help and you heard me and when we read this we i think we naturally ask we go is this literal is this metaphorical is this figurative is this psychological is it all of the above we don't you know we 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 can't say really one way or the other and it doesn't matter but what we do know is that the lines between the physical and the spiritual it gets really murky the moment that Jonah hits these waters in the beginning of his prayer because he's calling out for help from Sheol, which is the house of the dead, right? Like being inside of a fish, super scary, incredibly terrifying, but maybe as equally as terrifying, if not more, is to be drowning in the middle of the ocean. Is to be literally drowning, and, and the concept, the ancient concept behind Sheol, is this: that whenever you went down to the grave after you died, you couldn't escape it because you were literally closed and you were shut inside. And Cody will get get to that next week. But you were shut inside, the gate was closed, and there's no way for you to get out of this. But at its best, in the Old Testament, when you read through the scripture about Sheol, at its best, it's, 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 it's vague, it's undefined, there's, there's few descriptors. Of it, but by the time of the New Testament with Jesus, the concept of Sheol develops more concretely, and, and, it, and it's this idea or this place where the bad people go, the wicked people go. And so, like this is a place that you want to avoid if at all possible. And and now not to not to you know muddy the waters too much here, but by the time of the Middle Ages, Sheol had developed at that point into our own modern understanding. Of hell, but blah, blah, blah. it's important for us to understand when we read the Old Testament, okay? It's important for us to understand when we read the Old Testament that we don't force our modern understanding of hell on, on, onto this. But from the New Testament Greek, we see Sheol. There is some sort of compartmentalization in Sheol. Um, the classic example is Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich, young, uh, rich man. Uh, Lazarus is in paradise, uh, and, and the rich man's in, in Hades. And so um, in the Greek, there, there are, or both sides, there are, there are some words for the bad place, Gehenna, uh, Tartarus, Um, Sheol, Hades, and then the good side is sometimes referred as paradise or Abraham's bosom or the heaven or the heavens and so look we can we can debate we can discuss we can make guesses on this all day long but what we know is that Jonah was drowning he did descend descend toward death after he was thrown overboard and so Sheol say Sheol stay with me here are you with me this morning Okay. So Sheol is depicted as this sub in the ancient mind. Is depicted as this subterranean place that you go in whenever you die and it's an endless pit that can never be filled or satisfied. It's a place of emptiness and darkness and gloom and silence. And so once you go there, the, no one ever came on a comeback tour from Sheol. But but what's cool, you may not think this is cool, but I think this is super cool is that if those things are true, about Sheol and what Pastor Cody said last week and preached that, 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 that as the fish came to rescue Jonah, that he was indeed a vehicle for, for uh, uh, sal- God's salvation and not just judgment, reiterating what Cody was saying, that the fish was an agent of salvation for Jonah. And so... Um, as a side note, John Piper has a great paper in his blog, Desiring God on This. I'll stick this in our, in our blog after the fact if you want to go back and read it for yourself on Sheol so you can have a better understanding. But let's, let's, bring, let's bring Sheol back to us for just a second. Sometimes for you and me, whenever we get into those really dark and really desperate sort of situations in our lives, we sort of want God to kind of just slide in and fix the problem. Like, right, that, that's, that's where we naturally go to. We want God to just to step in and fix the problem, whatever the problem in our lives is. And I can't tell you how many times early on, man, in my walk with Jesus, I would say this to God. I would go, God, I promise to never fill in the blank, whatever it is, do this again if you come save me from this. We all, we all tend to do that from time to time. And, and, and look, God does do that for sure. Like he can miraculously step in and completely flip a circumstance on his head. We believe that here. But sometimes, church, don't miss this. Sometimes God will let you sink. Sometimes God will let you just sit for a while in those dark places. And what happens is that your situation and circumstance might not change But as you sink, your countenance can change. Your countenance can. As God brings his presence into your problem. And sometimes, man, God's presence in the problem is better than him fixing the problem altogether. So sometimes for us, sometimes the the way up is at first down. And continuing in this predicament, Jonah, he further describes this in verse 3. He says, for you cast me into the deep, the heart of the seas. And so look at those two words. These are some key phrases. The deep, the heart of the sea. Bring up my map real quick for me, if you can. Okay, so I'm not making a scientific claim with this. Let me just start there. But in the Hebraic worldview, in ancient cosmology, this was sort of the picture of, Um, of water it would often symbolize a descent into chaos and death and so from the from the scripture there the distress that jonah's feeling it's not just a distress on a personal level of him drowning but what it represented it was the very undoing of creation at the bottom And so, when the Hebrew readers would have heard these words from Jonah, this is what they would have pictured in in their mind. This most starkly shows up in the Bible from Genesis 7, right? Back to Noah again. And so, it's no accident, it's no accident, church, that God decides to use a flood to destroy creation. This is no accident. And what happens in Genesis 7, if you'll remember back to the story of Noah, is that God creates this order from the chaos by taming these ancient waters that are known as tahome. Say tahome. And and, and this is what's translated into your my Bible as the deep here. And so for creation to emerge, God has to hold back the tahome which God did by creating the rakia, which is the firmament, the sky, the expanse. Um, one translation I was reading just said the something. I love the honesty there. And, but in Genesis, whenever God decides, and no, whenever God decides, hey, this whole human experiment, it's been a disaster, and he opens up the windows of the firmament, the windows of the heavens, the windows of the rekiah, and God is peeling this back so that the waters of Tehom can come back into the world, and it results in a, in a time of 40 days and 40 nights of rain and flood uh, in the story of Noah and the ark. And so if this is hard for you to believe in Genesis, don't believe me. Listen to what Second Peter says about this. It says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact. This is 2 Peter 3, 5 through 7. The earth existed long ago. It was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. That by means of these, the world then existed. It was deluged or destroyed with water and perished, looking to the future. um, The same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept to the day of judgment for the uh, the ungodly. And so sit, sit with me for just a second. Remember backwards to sermon number one if you were here. Looking at this with ancient eyeballs, okay? And, and as we consider what this means in the context of Jonah, as we look at the old, other Old Testament scriptures that say these things, as we consider what 2 Peter has said about this, when Jonah says the deep surrounds me, he's going, look, the tahome, it burst. And the rakia, it, it was crushing me. And so it's these ancient waters of chaos, that God's over. This is ancient waters of chaos that are coming down on Jonah. He, he is you know, literally drowning, but he is figuratively being undone and he's sinking to that place where creation is unraveling on a cosmic level. That's what, that's what he's saying here. And so he, he also, he also lo- I love this, he recognizes who's orchestrating all this. Listen, listen to what he says, verse three. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, the the flood surrounding me. All your ways, all your billows passed over me. Jonah understands, okay, he understands. He's not in this situation because the mariners came in and made him walk the plank. No, no, no. This was the righteous right hand of God that threw Jonah overboard into the chaotic waters of his will. God was orchestrating this. Jonah said, I want to run away, God. God said, okay, bro, here's what we're going to do. Throws him overboard, and he says, what are you going to do now? What are you, what are you going to do now, Jonah? And Jonah is sinking. He's descending in this, in this chaos and this confusion into the, the great deep. And this is what the text in Jonah has been doing all along. He's descending. Right, first he—, he um, Where did it go? He went down to Joppa, right? Then he went down to a ship, and then he went down into the the belly of the ship, and now he's going further down into the great deep. The the Hebrew idea of this is that the roots of the mountain were holding the the earth in place, and that's where where he's saying he's going. He's in in, in this place, and and finally, church, finally, Jonah, in this moment, he is being stripped. He is being stripped of his own self-sufficient buoyancy, and there's nothing else that he can do on his own to save himself. For Jonah, the way up is to first go down. It's why in verse four he says there. He says, "Man, I'm I'm driven away from your from your side." And Jonah's in a Jonah's in a real bad spot. He's in a tough situation. He's facing a lot of things. Yet Jonah knows that he serves a really faithful and really loving and really sovereign covenant keeping kind of god and he knows man he knows if anyone would turn back from their sin to a better way to god's way that would god he would hear them even if they are drowning in their sea of sin and so this is wrapping up the promise part b of verse 4 it says this, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And I love this. This is the depth of creation, remember. And, and notice in this verse, Jonah's faith rise up. Look at it, look at it. This is the same verse. And in it we see his anguish. I'm driven away from your sight. We see his pain. And then all of a sudden we see his hope. This is happening in one man in one moment. Both of these coexist here. Yet. I shall once again see and look upon your holy temple. Spurgeon on this says, faith in our weakness makes us strong, and our poverty it makes us rich, and in our death makes us live. So the statement at the beginning of that from Jonah, he's, I've been cast away from your sight. Is that, is that what's happening here? Surely not, surely not. God knows exactly where he's at. If, if, if God is anywhere in the world, it's gotta be right there in the belly of the fish beside Jonah, there it is. Right there in the, in the chaotic waters of, uh, of Israel. God hasn't left him, he hasn't abandoned him in, in, in this moment, and, 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 and so Jonah's down about as far as he can go, and he, and he looks forward to the future promise of God's holy temple, and he's acknowledging here, he's going, God, even from the edges of creation, my prayer can still be heard by you. And church, it's through the promise of Jesus. As he comes, he brings his light of resurrection to light up the empty space of Sheol. And so if there was any place, any way, Jonah was ever going to begin to finally ascend, both in the water and in his faith, he had to be brought to the very end of himself to be able to find that grace that it was at the very bottom. And so sometimes, sometimes the way up is actually down. See, sometimes whenever you reach the very bottom of everything, you know, and, and all of your resources are burnt out and all of your ideas kind of fail, and you're at the very bottom and it seems like your schemes, you know, they're just not, they're just not working anymore. It's, it's like then when we are broken and exhausted, it's then that we learn how to completely depend on God. And, and I know this has been said before, and I know you've probably heard it, but you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. So church, if you're here this morning and you're wondering, man, I just wonder how how deep is God's well of mercy for me? If you're wondering that, I came to tell you today that it's at least a shield. It's at least a shield, and if you would just, man, if you would just, if you would just turn to Him, even in your doubt, that's what that's what, even in your doubt, and just set your yet on the table before him. Just place your faith there. Say, like, I'm, not, I'm not sure how you're gonna do this, Jesus, but I just, I just trust you. I know that, that you're sovereign here. God will say to you, look, hey, you there, I hear your prayer for mercy, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna send someone, I'm gonna send something there to save you. And look, he may not save your life, he may not change your circumstance, but what he does is he promises that his presence will be there with you in that problem. And so as long as there is breath in your lungs, and that's every one of us here, it is never it is never too late for you to repent and turn to the Lord. This morning for you, maybe the way up starts with being down.